Our scripture for this morning comes to us from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. Listen now for a word from God. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and when they found him, they said to him, everyone's searching for you. And he answered, Let's go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word, and God, thank you too for this time to dwell on it, and to listen. God, I pray that whatever words we would hear this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. So when um, Sarah and I first got married, we were, um, we, we, we had this house in Montana that we remodeled and um, we were just starting to welcome guests that were coming to visit us. And uh, the first set of guests that came to visit us were Sarah's parents. And um, the day that they were set to arrive, Sarah had an appointment in Billings, which was about two hours away. So four hours driving round trip, and the appointment was probably going to be an hour to an hour and a half. So I knew I had six hours that I was going to be alone. And she asked me, could you get the house ready while I'm gone? And I shook my head, yes, I can get the house ready while you're gone, and I'm going to do that. And we didn't talk about what that meant, and she left, and <laughs> she went to her appointment. Well, about six hours later, she pulls up in the driveway to find me on the roof, and I've got a broom in one hand, and I have a water hose in another hand, there's a paint bucket somewhere near my feet and some paintbrushes scattered about. And she gets out of the, the car and she says, what are you doing? <laughs> and I, <laughs> I said, well, you know, I've been meaning to paint the trim along the house. <laughs> and I've been meaning to clean these gutters. And she said, oh, okay. And she goes inside and she comes back out and she goes, what are you doing? And that was when I realized, oh, I didn't, I didn't do anything that I needed to do to get the house ready. I hadn't vacuumed. I hadn't done the dishes. I hadn't dusted. I hadn't made beds. I hadn't done anything at all that pr 
probably a normal sane person would do when you say, I have guests coming over, I need to get the house ready. Instead, I immediately went outside. I, did, I think I mowed the lawn. I think I, I know I cleaned the gutters. Those gutters were squeaky clean. <laughs> I, I brushed some of the debris that was left on the roof from fall that year. I brushed that off. I painted the trim. I did all of these other things. And so Sarah, for about 15 minutes, <laughs> furiously cleaned the house and probably muttered things under her breath that I'm not allowed to repeat where I'm standing right now. I got distracted. And, we, you know, we all do some version of this. Maybe you haven't been that extreme, but there, there actually are memes online. I'll, I'll post some reels on my Instagram tonight, but um, there, are, there are memes where, like, partners in relationships, there's, like, one partner, if you say, hey, we have guests coming over, uh, apparently this is a trend where uh, and typically it is the male and the ones that I've seen, though I, I don't want to be uh, exclusive. They go off and they do all these ridiculous things that you just would never think of doing, like cleaning the gutters, painting the trim, brushing off debris from the roof. You know, this is something that we do. We get distracted. We do things that we think need to be done. We tell ourselves a story about the, the, the thing that is most important and we set our mind to it and that's the only thing. Maybe you don't do it with guests. Maybe you do it with work. Maybe you do it in other areas of your life where you are so set on the thing that you think needs to be done and maybe it's not really the thing that needs to be done. We all have a tendency to get distracted like this. And if I would have just taken a moment that day <laughs> in the six hours that I had to prepare the house to say, what would be most important right now? What could I do I might have quit doing some of those outdoor projects that I had on my mind, and I might have shifted into something else. Just after Jesus has called his disciples, begun his ministry, and started preaching, but also kind of doing some of this healing, you know, there was a healing just before the story we read, and then he's casting out demons, um, just before all of this, Jesus is beginning to figure out what he's doing. He's starting to come into a knowledge of who he is and what he's been sent for. And so just after all of this, he gets an invitation to go to Simon and Andrew's house. And he shows up to Simon and Andrew's house, and the first thing that he sees is Simon's mother-in-law is sick in bed. And we're told she has a fever. And they take Jesus in to see her, and he goes to the bedside, and we're told that immediately he lifts her up, and he heals her. And she's well, and she gets up, and I'm imagining that there's a celebration, and she begins to serve them. And this is actually a, a huge, huge moment for Simon and, and the whole family, for Simon's mother-in-law. Because she is restored to her proper place. She's given back her dignity, actually. You know, in, in, in that time, in that culture, uh, women were sort of the hosts of the household. And when I say host, I don't mean they put out the cookie trays and they made sure everyone's tea was still hot and, and they served the perfect meal and all of this. Though that, that might be what it was. It was more a ministering to those who came into the household. And actually, the word minister... Is, is translated serve here, but it's the same word that is used when Jesus is tempted in the desert. 
and um, he's ministered to by angels, or the angels come and tend to him at the end of his trials and tribulations, his temptations. And so when Jesus restores Simon's mother-in-law, she goes and she ministers to the family, just like the angels do to Jesus. And this is a big moment for her. She's back in her community. The community has her back. And, and, and I can imagine that she's like one of those people, and, and hopefully you have someone like this in your life, that you're just around them and it's better for you. Do you have someone like that? Like you just, you show up and you're in their presence and they might just sit on their bottom and not say a word, but just being around them is good for you. I imagine that this is what Simon's mother-in-law is doing for those people. And so she gets up and she serves them and, and, and they begin to have a meal and to talk and to do whatever they were going to do that evening. Well, word spreads that Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law who was sick with a fever and one person gets an idea and another person gets an idea and pretty soon there's a whole line of people waiting to come inside Simon and Andrew's house to be healed. And Jesus actually has compassion on them. He, one by one, they come in, he heals them. And, and, it's, and it's such a big crowd that he does it almost all the way into the evening until he's completely exhausted. And probably everyone else is pretty tired too. And he finally sneaks away to a quiet place. And we're told he goes to pray. We're not told what he prays. We don't have any words, but I just want to imagine for a moment what he might have prayed. He has to be thinking, there's going to be more people coming to be healed. If I healed one person, and that one person attracted a crowd of people to heal, can you imagine the number of people that are going to come after I've healed a crowd of people? The crowd is going to attract a crowd. And he's got to be thinking with that, that's going to take a lot of time. That's going to take a lot of energy. That might be <laughs> a never-ending job. He's got to be thinking, too, you know, that this is, this is actually good work. I mean, he's restoring people back to their community. Some of the healings that happened before this um, there's the guy that they, they cut a hole in the roof and, and the friends lower him down. And uh, I think Pastor Sarah's preached on that before. And, and, and what she said on it was, you know, the friends want their friend back so he can go to work, so he can participate in the community. And, and this is what Jesus is offering. And he can do that for so many different individuals. He could heal this person and, and, and restore them to their family. He could heal this person and restore them to their community. He could do all of these things. It's really good work. He could help someone that can't see, see again. Someone with a fever, not have a fever. It's good work, but it's going to be a lot of work. I think, too, he's probably wondering... Is this really what I want to do? Is this really, really what I want to do? And this is, a, I think, a tough question. This is hard for me to ask this week about Jesus. Is, is healing people really what Jesus wants to do? In part, it's yes, but it can't be the only thing. 
he'll say a little later, I came to proclaim the good news. That's part of what he's coming into. And so part of this question about, am I going to do this? <laughs> is it good for me? Is this what I want to do? Part of that question is, who am I really? Who am I? Am I a healer? Mm, yeah, sort of. Jesus is a healer. But he also came to preach. He also came to liberate. He came to set people free from whatever bound them, whether that was demons that had possessed them, whether that was something that made them sick, whether it was the religious teaching of the time sort of oppressing them and holding them down. He came to set them free. And so while he's in that quiet place and he's praying, he's wrestling with who he is and what he ought to be doing. And then Simon comes. And he grabs Jesus by the shoulder and he shakes him and he says, what are you doing? <laughs> Where have you been? Everyone has been looking for you. Come back. There's another crowd of people to heal. And Jesus stops him and says, Ho hold on. No. I'm done. Let's go on to the next town. Let's go on somewhere else. Let that crowd be. I came to proclaim the good news. And so he leaves. Jesus leaves a crowd of people that need to be healed behind because, because he has something else to do. He doesn't heal the people that are blind who need to see because he has something else to do. He doesn't heal the people with the fevers that might be dying because he has something else to do. He doesn't heal the people that can't walk and so can't work and have lost their dignity because he has something else to do. Jesus quits healing the people in that village to go and become the person that God is calling him to be. And I can imagine in that moment, you know, that Simon and Andrew and all the disciples are like, what are you, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? But Jesus, he doesn't bend, he doesn't change his course, he doesn't waffle in his decision because of what everyone's going to say and think everyone who thinks they know what he should be doing, he gets up and he moves on. Oprah has this uh, really great quote, and I, I'm sure someone else has said it in some other version, but I, I heard it from Oprah. She says, you know, the, m the more you know who you really are, the better able you are to figure out what's best for you. The more you know who you really are, the more you figure out and you learn about yourself, the more you're going to know what's best for you. And I heard that quote again this week, and it reminded me again of that Howard Thurman quote that I talked about during the time for the child in all of us, that what the world needs is not you to ask, what does the world need, and then you go do that. What the world needs is for you to ask, what makes you come alive? Because the world needs people that have come alive. And if you think about it, Thurman's vision for all of us is that you would ask that question, 
and you and you and you and you and you, and everyone would ask that question. If everyone kind of comes alive, we've got a world of people <laughs> that have come alive, not a world of people that are just doing whatever they think needs to be done. If we have a world of people that have come alive, maybe, maybe that would change something. Maybe that would heal something. Maybe that would move us in some kind of direction. You might be in a place in your life where you feel caught. You feel like you're just going through the motions. You feel like you've got this thing that's never ending and, and, and you're wondering, maybe you're at a crossroads, you're wondering which way do I go? What should I be doing? Maybe you've been asked to clean the house by your, wi by your wife and you've got six hours to do it and you're wondering what should I really be doing? And I think sometimes what we need to do in those moments is what Jesus does. Just take a moment to pause. You need to go to a quiet place and you need to ask these questions and pray, who am I? What do I really want to do? What am I up to? What makes me come alive? I think as a church, we need to do that too. And really, we have for the past three years, haven't we? We've been sitting in a lot of listening sessions. We filled out a bunch of surveys. We have more surveys that we're going to talk about again that we're going to fill out. You have to kind of go through that introspective process, and we've done that as a church. We've asked a lot of these questions, but it's always in service of where are we going? Who is God calling us to be? I think in order to get to those places where God is calling us to be, we've got to be willing to quit some things. Jesus quit healing people, and that shocked me when I read it this week, that he would leave a crowd of people behind and not heal them, and didn't even give instructions to the disciples to say, you go heal them. He just left them because there was something else. If we're going to continue on this path of who God is calling us to be and moving into that future that God is creating, if you are going to find out who you really are, it's going to require you to quit something. It's going to require you to lay something down. If we are going to do that as a church, we are going to have to quit some things. We're going to have to pause some things. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would use this wisdom to guide us into the future you are creating. In Jesus' name. Amen.